Say hello to the bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. All right, welcome to Say Hello to the Bad Guy. I'm your host, Locke, and this is the podcast where we drink, smoke, and bullshit about the life of a historic criminal. Now we're talking outlaws and gangsters. We're not going to cover too many serial killers. That's just a little bit dark for me, and this ain't no true crime podcast. Honestly, you can't call this a history podcast because I'm no historian. I'm just a history fan that does some research and bullshits about it with his friends. So speaking of my friends, let me introduce you to my co-host. All right, first with us today, we got J-Bone. Hey, everybody, how's it going? And also with us today, we got Dan. Hello there. Welcome to the show, fellas. Word. Glad to be back. You want to kick us off, Dan? What you got to drink? I reckon I'm sticking with my founders because I love them. They're my favorite. No, uh, yeah, founders, good old... Michigan beer from Grand Rapids, and I have their porter. Dark, rich, and sexy. Has a good Victorian-looking lady dressed in black on the label, and I always pick my stuff by the label. She's a southern belle. I like that for the name of their porter, you know, founders, because all the names are so crazy Yeah. in, in the, the, the craft industry and shit that they just said, you know what, we're going to call it porter. Yeah, normal no shit. fucking yeah. rum, but it does. It tastes dark, rich, and sexy. Well, and they don't have to because that's just a straight up porter. Because they have every different flavor or breakfast mm. or uh, you know any other individualized. So yeah, and Founders has a lot of uh, high alcohol content beer that, that I like. They got like eleven percent, twelve percent, and stuff. This is only a little uh, six point five, so it's kind of light for a dark beer, but it's real good. All right, uh. J-Bone? Okay, I've seen the light, because I once was lost, but I, too, am founders now. Uh, I'm going with the Dirty Bastard. It's, uh, like Dan mentioned, it's another one of the uh, soaked and aged in um, bourbon barrels, that darker, rich flavor. Another one of their bastard lines. Yep. And um, <clears throat> there's no bones about it. We just like some swag, some ink pens, some, some can openers, some T-shirts. Founders? We're here for you, bud. A koozie. Uh, yeah, whatever. a koozie. Like a, a cheap little trinket, you know, a, a, a who's it, a what's it? A coaster. I'll pay 20 bucks the six-pack. Just give me some Founders Coasters to put the beer on, please. Well, I got a, a Traverse City Whiskey Company. I got their uh, American Cherry. We had it on the show before, but a lot of people don't know. Michigan Traverse City is like the, Nash, the cherry capital of the world. And uh, Traverse City Whiskey Company, they do. They're doing great shit. Word. It's good whiskey gen- in general, but try the American cherry and uh, you'll dig it, man. Yep. Cherry capital of the fucking world, man. Even, uh, yeah, national, like Sam Adams, their cherry wheat, they use Michigan Traverse City ch- tart cherries. Well, before we get started, got to make sure we take the time to thank Sixfo Swaino for letting us use his music in the intro. I thank Cancer for letting us use his music in the mid roll. Uh, you can follow them both on Instagram. It's Sixfo Swaino, it's F O E. And then Cancer is Cancer the God, the E is a three. If you're having a hard time finding it, you can go to our website and you can click the links through there. You can follow us at Bad Guy Podcast on both Instagram and TikTok and the Bad Guy Pod on Twitter and then Bad Guy Podcast Facebook too. So we'll go ahead and get started. And the bad guy we're covering today is Paolo Antonio Vaccarelli. This ain't negotiation time. This is Scarface, final scene, fucking bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friend. Ooh, smooth name. I think he needed one more name to make that complete. I'm definitely going to need this on the screen to read it, because I already forgot it. Well, it's a two-pager, so his name takes up two screens. It was a whole lot of speaking in cursive. And look at the nickname. Paolo and Paolo Paul Kelly. Yeah, they really uh, shorted that one up. You know what? That's good. They took the first and last syllables and just said that. (laughs) Let's skip the O Antonio Vaca part. That's cool. At first, he sounds very Italian, then he sounds Australian. Yes. Yeah, so it's Paolo Antonio Vaccarelli, a.k.a. Paul Kelly. I wonder yeah. if that's just because his accent was so strong and they asked him his name. They're like, Paul Kelly? All right. Oh, we'll get we'll get there. You'll never get, oh. like, it's the craziest shit you've never heard of. Of how he got the name Paul Kelly. Yeah. 
Nice. And not because his name is Paolo Vaccarelli. No. All Uh, right. (laughs) First you had my attention. Now you, you have my attention. It's unbelievable. So he was born in New York on December 23rd, 1876 to immigrant parents on the Lower East Side. It must have been the Upper East Side that the Jeffersons were always trying to move on up to. Definitely. Because it's not the Lower East Side. These people just landed and they're trying to get out of here. Moving on up to the better East Side. Every terrible story we tell starts Starts here. (laughs) This fucking picture. This is ground zero for hoodlumish. As a kid, he worked different jobs, never settling into anything. And eventually he began boxing, which he excelled at, becoming a top band of weight prospect. Well, you know, you got to try on a lot of hats to figure out which one fits right. You know, you start trying to be a newsboy, you land in boxing. You know, it's every man's journey. Well, they said the boxing thing was weird because he was a smart kid. He was like, he was into the finer things. He was smart, like to read. But he was a good boxer. Now, what years is this? Well, he was born in 1876. So this when he like gets 18, in, it's come, yeah, not even I, because just the picture you're showing us is very. It looks like a Renaissance festival. Well, we got Boss men. Tweed here, yeah. like he just so left I'm Tammany just Hall. To, so this is the old school boxing where it's like, yeah, we just sort of throw up some rope and uh, you guys don't even put on shorts. Keep your pants on. Just when you guys take off your shirts and start punching each other. Gloves. That's ungentlemanlike. So this is back when they still like put up their dukes. Yeah, look, they're bare knuckle boxing. Oh, and I gotta I gotta say this. So he was born on December twenty third, eighteen seventy six. It's unclear, depending on your source, whether it snowed that Christmas. <laughs> whether he uh was born his parents were both immigrants, so it's unclear <laughs> whether he what, was born or not. It was cl- unclear whether he was born in Italy and uh moved here as a toddler. Or if he was born in New York. They didn't have accurate birth certificates? No. But. Well, I mean, if you're still still shitting yourself, okay, you're from here. I'm just saying, because some people say, oh, he was born in Italy and then came over here as a baby. And some people say, no, he was born in America. And I think, well, either way, he's pretty American. Like, he doesn't remember the old country. If they landed here or they were on the way here, you know what I mean? You were born here. If he learned how to wipe his ass in America, he's He's in America. That's our rule. That's our rule. So when you become American, when you can wipe your own ass, that's why the movie Big Daddy is so heartwarming. So we got a lot of international listeners, like Malta's real big. So all our fans in Malta, if you want to know what America's like, that's what it is. If you you already know how to wipe your ass, I'm sorry. You're never going to be a true American. (laughs) You leave home of Vassarelli, you get here and become Paul Kelly. Thank you. Just Paul Kelly. And also, some people say he was Sicilian. Mm-hmm. Some people say he was from southern Italy. A lot of yeah. people are splitting hairs for no fucking reason yeah. right well, now. They take it over there. We don't. They take it big over there. I, the, to me, the Vassarelli, the, the name kind of sounds uh, Sicilian. It's just tough because I look it up and you get two different things. So there, I told all of the story. That's all of the versions wrapped into one. Pick yours. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure. But either way, we're now boxing. And he's a bantam weight, which is 115 to 118. Ooh, he said he's a little guy. He said he's about 5'2". Oh, yeah, he is an itty-bitty guy. Little Wolverine. Hell yeah, yeah boy. Paul <laughs> Kelly. Coming over here from Sicily or Italy and learn to wipe his ass become a true American. In the early 1890s, he changed his name to Paul Kelly as the Irish got the best bookings in boxing. And they were the political powerhouses at the time. Oh, well, that's very believable. I know. Oh, it's it's, it's how it happens every single yes. time. He's like the fourth Sicilian we've covered that fucking changed his name to an Irish name because he wanted to box. Ripley set this one out. We <laughs> we believe it. Okay, but had you ever heard of that? Ever? Until yeah, he started know. doing this podcast and now all of a sudden it turns half these Sicilian gangsters just changed their name to some different shit because they wanted to make more money boxing. Yeah, this has been a reoccurring thing, which I still find it out. Like, there's not many situations where, like, you know what? I'd rather be Irish. Well, and they all the politicians were Irish, so they were yeah. getting the big books. At, big book the police, the yeah, uh, like are. the city government, yeah. the lower yeah. level government. So he all was like, that. "Fuck it, I'm Paul Kelly. I'm Paul Kelly. I'm fucking Gene. I'm Jack McGurn. I'm fucking uh, 
uh, a Michael Duffy. Yeah. I'm fucking Everlast, bro. Yeah. Who was the other boxer? There's a very specific boxer who did the same thing before. Jack McGurn. Was it Jack McGurn? Yeah. Oh, His right. name was Vincenzo Gibaldi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And he changed it to Jack McGurn because he was battling Jack McGurn, the yeah. Irish boxer. And he was Sicilian-looking on motherfucker, too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, whatever. It's all in the name. Yeah. So it was Paul Kelly, too. Well, and it's easier to say. It just works out. You get to drop a whole name. In 1897, the Bridgeport Herald newspaper described him as one of the fastest and cleanest little boxers in the business. They had to give him a compliment that demean it by, like, little boxer. <laughs> He's really good for a little man. Fella. I tell you, he's the most technically skilled whoop ass little guy I've ever seen. Little fast bastard. It's a backhanded compliment. Comes at you like a spider monkey. So his boxing career was uh his boxing career was successful but short lived. Paul Kelly decided to take his considerable winnings and he used them to open numerous clubs, brothels, and gambling dens. Hell yeah, American boy. If that's, yeah, if that's he's not red, American, right blue right there. It's the Holy Trinity, red, white, and blue. Brothels, casinos, and what was the other one? Gambling done. Hell yeah, it was. Man, broads, cards, drinking. Like he's living that of that time period. That's that American is the dream. yeah. Started off as a little Italian immigrant, grew up to be a rich business Irishman. <laughs> and and but we're joking. But that is a smooth move. Take all your winnings. Be like, all right, dude, I'm out. Start me a business. He did what all these sports athletes are just now catching on to. He's like, no, I'm going to get my money, start a business, and be out. What, I still got my shit together? I'm not yeah. trying to sit here and box people on the street for the rest of my fucking life? I'm not trying to get a CTE. Paul Kelly began putting together a gang to help him run his numerous operations. And he ran his gang different than most at the time. You know, because this is the early 1900s. You know, late 1800s, like 1899, 1900, shit like that. And, uh... He believed in organization and planning over brute force. He thought it was more profitable to conduct yourself as a gentleman instead of as a thug. And he was an early proponent of working with other ethnicities. I love how, like, he is straight trying to be a businessman, but because of the nature of how shit's going, it has to be a gang, not a boardroom. Just the nature of how business is ran. I want to compete down here, so it has to be a gang. Instead of being, like, a businessman... That's tough and strong arms people. You have to be a gangster that chooses a little less violent means. And like, he didn't swear. So he, he tried to say, he's like, look, don't swear. We have to treat each other with respect. You're going to yell at each other. Like this is a business. He it started sounds, an uh, HR department. It sounds very like uh, Lansky and Luciano esque as far as, uh, Hey, you don't have to exactly be born from my town to be a part of not our thing, but like our little thing of our thing. So I like that. Well, he can't be like an ethnicity purist when he was uh, white face and being Irish this whole time. Yeah. It's hard to be like, no, Sicilian or nothing. Like, dude, aren't you Paul Kelly now? Well, and then the other gangs at the time, though, they were doing like gangs in New York. They yeah, were like fighting. They were like axe fighting in the street and shit. So he was like, well, look. Let's just look hang out suit. in the store. Let's just. And he'd wear like tailored suits and like silk socks and shit. And he's like, look, we can just dress sharp and run these businesses. Who's who's in his game? Like, I don't know. I'd rather be out there trying to get stabbed dressed like shit. <laughs> so he taught this version of criminal lifestyle to his top lieutenants who modeled their style after him. He also realized that the easiest way to protect his business and support expansion was to get in with local politicians. So he laid out this big plan, and then he leaned on his top lieutenant, who was the former boss of the James Street gang, Johnny Torrio. Oh, there it is. Oh, so Johnny T was just one of this guy's lieutenants when he started? Like, he's a kid here. I'm sure Johnny yeah. T's like 20 years old or something. Like, he's a youngster here. Right. But yeah, that's sweet. He basically, he came up with the plan. He he set it all up, and he had the whole gang put together. And Torrio was like, he was his lieutenant, and he kind of became his right-hand man. And it makes sense, though, because when they're literally fist fighting in the street, what are we doing? We could clean up all the pieces from that. And like, that's how Torio ran like later on with Jim and them. Like he was that kind of guy. Like they use violence to their advantage. But I like those ones that go above, like think a little bit, you know? Yeah. I know what the podcast is. I know we all want to see the train wreck, but I, there is something to say for that entrepreneurial, well, like, uh, well, that's what I'm saying is because of the nature of the game, we're looking at this, like, uh, Luciano, like 
a gang member that's going straight when really if it wasn't for his circumstances of just where he was born he would be a regular good business he is just a businessman who because of the nature of the game has a gang and because let's be honest he's not doing straightforward business it's brothels gambling dens and shit so i mean he is doing illegal like hoodlum ass shit but he is he seems to be just a straight businessman He's going more the political route, greasing wheels instead of out in the street. In the early 1900s, he began offering the services of his gang at a cost to the politicians at Tammany Hall. And Tammany Hall was the notoriously corrupt political system in New York through most of the late 1800s and early 1900s. The center of a lot of shit that went down in New York. So they got their first big gig on September 17th, 1901, when an estimated 1500 gangsters took to the streets to help ensure that tom foley won the primary over incumbent patty diver who was running on a reformist platform to eliminate the light red light district in the fourth ward so they were like no (laughs) nope Uh, so they have a different proposal for you so they went in the street and they would like they would just beat their voters up in the street and like if they tried to get in line they would just chase them away and shit and fucking uh (laughs) there was like one guy that uh, was voting for the other side that said he voted 53 times. It's the same shit that, like, Capone's gang did in Cicero. They just decided, like, you know what? We got this. We'll, we'll fix this election the old-fashioned way. And due to their work, their guy, Tom Foley, ends up getting in, and he's like, you know what? Red dude, light their district. hard work. Yeah. Red light district it is, man. Go ahead and do your thing. So hey, You ain't shutting that shit down. So with his new political connections, Paul Kelly soon dominated the vice across multiple wards earning a monopoly over the five points. This led to the name of his gang, the Five Points Gang. Word. We've heard that name on the cast before. So in 1903, he was arrested for assault and served nine months in prison. It's this weird thing where everybody's like, he beat the shit out of some guy like in a gang fight on the street. And everybody's like, well, that's not even what you do. Like, that's not even your style. Why are you doing Mm -hmm. that? He said he thought it was important that every once in a while, he's like, well, it is still a criminal enterprise. So it's important that every once in a while I got to get out there and crack some heads or something just so everybody knows that, like... I'm not weak. I'm not not no Mark. Every once in a while, Tiger Kid's out of the cage, you know what I mean? Hey, I mean, that's... It is what it is. It's like when Tony Soprano, in that episode, after he gets shot, has to beat up the uh, muscle guy. Like, kid didn't do nothing wrong. He's just like, well, I got to show my crew that I'm still down to fucking... Yeah, I've, I've made the wildlife comparison thing. When you're in this world, you have to be more animalistic, and that is a true animal instinct to show your alphaness every once in a while. Yeah, if you don't show, control. if it goes away for 11 years, yeah. it makes you yeah. soft. But also, who knows the thing? Like, he used to be a boxer and shit. He could have been out getting drunk. This guy was, like, getting him mad and just... He's still scrapping. Yeah, he just beat a dude up. Well, so... Paul Kelly doing that, it worked for the like what the effect he was going for because he did nine months for it, and when he came out, he was like street back cred? on fucking top. Yeah, everybody's street like, this motherfucker's the boss. Like he, yeah. you know, he he stepped out his suit down from the loft and cracked this motherfucker in the mouth. Like Paul Kelly's a goddamn dog, so they fucking loved him. Like yeah. Tupac getting shot or something. Well, like, yeah, made him more appealing. Like yeah, he's real man. Them motherfucker get locked up all the time. Well, and being like a real good ass boxer. He probably pieced him up real nice, so everyone was like, damn! <laughs> like, it wasn't just he beat some dude up. Like, he probably pieced him up real good. You got knocked the fuck out! Yeah. When he gets out, he opened the Paul Kelly Association Athletic Club, which he <laughs> ran like a gym and a boxing association out of, which he would use to recruit muscle for his gang. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I was just thinking, too, like, Cool, he got got out of like all the horn and gambling. Now he's fucking starting a gym, positivity. Like, yeah, he's getting muscle <laughs> to fuck people up. You guys got some good boxers in here? Hey, how would you like some real work? The Paul Kelly Academy must have stayed because I seen it in the 70s. It was called Rocky, where Rocky's <laughs> training at this shitty gym and this mobster comes, gets him to break thumbs for 20 bucks that this guy owes him. And they hung cows <laughs> in there. He later opened the new Brighton Athletic Club, which was a two-story cafe with a dance hall. It was like a... I mean, I guess dancing's athletic. Well, athletic clubs are sometimes like country clubs. Yeah. So I worked at the the DAC, the Detroit Athletic Club, and it has a gym and racquetball and stuff like that. But that's more for your businessmen to kind of go dick around and 
have drinks or whatever. Hey, I play but, sports too. Like, no, you yeah. don't. But it's more of a country club. So athletic club a lot of times means like country club. But he used that as his base operations, and that's what it was. Like he had like a whole dance floor, so like all these like rich socialites and stuff would come, and he'd entertain them, and uh, he'd wear fine tailor suits. Uh, he was into like fine art and classical music, and he could speak French, Italian, and Spanish all fluently. No, so he's just out there living the dream, smooth ass businessman, greasing wheels, getting muscle, doing it all. I'm waiting for this shit to turn. Well, he's with Johnny T and those guys, the Five Points Gang. This is real history, like. It is real history. Well, technically, it's all it real, real history. history. Well, no, I mean, like, there's there's known people here. Sometimes you tell a whole story, and they don't connect back to nobody. They're just a story, like, from the middle of Iowa, and they don't connect to nothing. His educated sophistication drew people to him and led him to expand in his territory throughout Manhattan and in, into New Jersey. So he just had, like, little businesses popping up all over the place. And he was just this, this popular guy. He's a good businessman. Now, his chief rival was a brutal street gangster named Monk Eastman. So Monk Eastman's gang had over 2,000 strong, and it was a throwback to the old Five Points gang of the 19th century. So they were into, like, axe fights in Bash, the street. Baseball bats. <laughs> you know, that, like, that was their their jam. Like, that's what they brought to the table. And in shit. the street shit. Don't get into your modern gunplay shit. Let's hit each other with bats. Dude, at one point, Monk Eastman... Would he go to the war to go fight in? I don't. I think it was World War One. World War One of the wars. But he got out of prison to go to the war. When he did the physical, he was so scarred up and battered. And they were like, "Where did you see combat at?" And he was like, "Uh, just a bunch of little battles around New York. It's just a couple machete wounds. It's the old neighborhood. You know, New York. You know, kid stuff. Those are my horsing around marks." The two gangs would have numerous street fights and armed conflicts over the control of the neutral territories. The Bowery section was like this neutral territory and the five points gang had like everything west of that. And the monk Eastman gang had everything east of that. And they both worked for like, well, he's not monk Westman. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, He kind of had to, you know, you're <laughs> obligated to lock it down, but they both worked for Tammany Hall, but there was this neutral territory and they just were both fighting over this neutral territory all the time. And uh, Paul Kelly was always like, well, we're trying to do this different shit, but I mean, that's how he gets down. If I want to beat him, at some point, we got to get down there in the streets with him. So he's like, well, fuck it. We'll do it. You know, we'll go fight him. And, we'll, they, you know, they had shootouts. They had this shootout that it was a 50 on 50 shootout. It was Johnny Torrio's, like, big shootout. He was, like, still a kid. Like, it was the early 1900s. And they fought for, like, uh, fought for hours. They literally, uh, it was 50 on 50. The poli- New York police showed up and were like, you know what? Nah. <laughs> we, ain't, we ain't getting in the middle of this fucking they, they turn the corner and like, kill the sirens kill the sirens okay well that particular battle it was if, it if i'm right was that not like a whole shit ton of shots but not the pile of bodies wasn't that huge correct well uh, three people got killed monk eastman got shot in the stomach but that's what i mean like for a two-hour <laughs> for, for so you guys shot twenty five thousand rounds and three people died. Well, this was also that's what the I mean. Days. Their guns were the no, most no. I'm I'm giving all that like into some consideration. Of, some of them were throwing rocks yeah. and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also just so the people at home understand, like a lot of time, like you shoot like ten feet away, your shit would like miss. Because just a real quick little gun fact: there's something called boring the barrel, where barrels of guns have a certain spin to them. Gives it the, the rifling. rifling. Yeah, so bullets spin when they come out, which helps. It's like a spiral on a football. Like, it helps it travel way better. Old school guns, a lot of them were just round balls, and they didn't have that. Smooth so wars. So, a lot of times. Yeah, it's like shooting a BB just, gun. You shoot yeah. right there, it's going to go off to the left. So, now you shoot, you know what I mean? You put it to the right a little mm. bit, I'm going to hit you right in the head. Like, like, they were still accurate it ain't like there weren't no accurate guns or nothing but they were a lot less accurate and a lot less uh powerful like the amount of black powder wasn't as dependable in each like shot so a lot of times that's why you see these old school uh like movies and stuff they hide behind a wooden crate and shit and bullets just aren't going through as dumb as it sounds it's very believable some of those old shitty guns yeah well you could you said earlier that the rifling made it like throwing a spiral. So it's like throwing, like it's like comparing throwing a spiral to a knuckleball. Yeah. I mean, if you throw a knuckleball, it's still going to hit the catcher. 
Yeah, it's still going to get there. But, but it's still, it's like shooting a shotgun or something. It's a little less accurate. That Beamer, that 106 mile an hour fastball that pops the yeah. glove, almost breaks the catcher's hand. Like, that's much different. So this is the new Brighton Athletic Club. Was. And let's, let's not forget the Eastman crew. They're used to battling with axes and stuff. They're like, oh, a gunfight. What the hell? A couple of them accidentally threw their guns on accident. Didn't know how they worked. Andre the Giant is a young man. That's Holy Monk shit. Eastman. Yeah, I've... Uh, Minus the Eastman. Uh, he's he, fairly famous because I've heard of him and yeah. seen pictures of him. He was like the last of the guys trying to do like the gangs in New York style of fighting like yeah. he was the last the rumbles like let's go physically <clears throat> just out there in the line up yeah. and he basically had the people that weren't willing to translate that were like no we're not switching to putting on suits and that new be, modern yeah. shit no fuck that but johnny torrio it is time he was like his main go-to guy johnny torrio was the kind of mastermind or not the mastermind but like the main dude that was at the the big gunfight and shit monkeysman got shot um at this time, Johnny Torrio, he was always him, and he, you know, he was learning how to be more sophisticated and a businessman. But when they had to take to the streets, he was that leader too. Yeah. Shit. Like they call him lieutenants in this thing, but he's more like a general. Right. Like, Paul Kelly in one of the uh, street fights, Paul Kelly broke the nose of Jack Schmitzky, who was one amongst chiefs enforcers. Enforce that. So this Jack Schmitzky guy, he gets word back and he says he wants to fight. Paul Kelly in like a fair fight. He's like, let's box then. You know, you know now they're just called three o'clock after school behind the bleachers. No, no, hold on. I'm going to promote us. Let's do this at Madison Square Garden and like you get a payday, I get a payday. Well, Paul Kelly's like, well, fuck yeah, I'll box you. Yeah, I'm a, do you know what my old, old day job used to be, asshole? Well, Jack, I do think I became Paul Kelly. Jack Shimsky was six foot, 230, so he's a big ass dude. So he figured like, Oh. Yeah, I get it. You can fight, but he's a big guy and shit. Also, this is like one of those old school UFC fights. Heavyweight versus <laughs> yeah, a fucking featherweight. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think this is going to be sanctioned. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the Nevada State Athletic Commission is going to be in on this one. I'm not going to dig it. See, there goes Madison Square Gardens. But no, too, no. B- too bad it couldn't get bet on because I'm sure everybody would take Butterbean and they should have been betting on little Gracie here. Like This is before Bruce Lee came and taught everybody. Yes. Paul Kelly knocked Shimsky out in the third round. That's where my money would have been. So eventually these giant wars and nonstop fights caused added police attention and civic outrage. You know, there's like some of these gunfights, like, like passerbys and just like civilians would get hurt because like you said, these bullets are just going wherever there's people get like shot through their window. And And there's a, they do them on streets that are 12 feet wide. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, let's not have a shootout here. And There's I a mean, kid watching. You just know. once you start having gunfights in the streets, yeah, tends to gain attention. This is New York. I yeah. mean, you can't have the a most gunfight. Com- even back then, the hey. most compact place in the country. You know yeah. what? These these hour and a half long gunfights bringing a lot of unwanted attention. Come on. It's really hurting the fruit cart industry. How are these guys going to sell the watermelons every time they get yeah. shot up? You guys are out here What's at 10 o'clock on? on a Tuesday, and it sounds like the finale of 4th of July fireworks. Maria's trying to sell these rugs. How's she going to do it when you keep on sh- popping in holes every time? Now they're Afghans. Nobody wants fucking Afghans. You made Swiss cheese here. You take a nap in the middle of the day. You want a blanket. It's kind of nippy. You throw in an Afghan, all those fucking holes. You're like, God damn it. Why isn't this a fleece throat pillow? <laughs> My nipples are coming through this blanket. God damn it. Nobody wants that shit. So yeah, stop with the holes, guys. Eventually, Tammany Hall, he step, they step in and they arrange a sit-down between the two gangs in law enforcement. And Hey, hey, you guys both work for us, okay? Yeah. That's literally what happened. Look, all three, all three entities here are corrupt, okay? Can't we all just get along? I would say we'll just settle this. Each guy pick your own team. Each pick one and you settle it. But that already happened. The side already won that. Well, they decided to do it again. <laughs> Say they went Thunderdome rules yeah. to manager one. Let's man throw it. Let's all throw in. We're gonna redraft. You the get a detective. Th- I get a muscle guy. Mm-hmm. You get a hitman. Mo Gibson already beat Blaster. It already happened. They agreed to a truce and they handle the dispute of the neutral territories with a boxing match between the two gang leaders. So Monk Eastman was like, "Well, yeah, you beat up my boy, but you didn't beat me up, so that doesn't count." <laughs> And uh, the winner will be awarded the neutral territory. And I'm sure the loser will honor this. Well, I'm imagining Tammany Hall is just filled with all those fat cats, like rich banker, monopoly types. So they're all sitting there. This is like modern day Mandingo fighting. 
they're sitting there just mm-hmm. probably throwing down bets on which one's going to win. Yeah, they're like, fuck yeah, you guys should fight it out, 100%. Yeah. I mean, they really do, even though it is too... Or Monkey Eastman is a uh, Jew, I take it. Well, he actually ran a Jewish gang, but he actually probably wasn't Jewish. It's real weird. He I'm not going to try and get too into it because we can Native cover him, Amer- like independently. Well, it don't matter because I was going to say to that is just two Italians, even though one's yeah. fake and being Irish, just fighting each other for these rich white dudes' pleasures either way. Like, yeah, fight over that territory. We don't care. He looks like the Hulk watch. if you took the green off of him. Like <laughs> He's just Lou Ferrigno. Yeah. <laughs> He looks like Elephant Man if he had a few surgeries to look better. Elephant Man meets Jim Thorpe, or had a kid with Jim He's Thorpe. Manatee Man. Paul Kelly beat the shit out of him in the early rounds, but like Monk Eastman's a beast. He was described as having like an, a ridiculous ability to absorb pain. And he was just rocky, just getting the shit kicked out. Oh, that's gonna go now. So they ended up boxing for two hours. Oh, my God. That's insane. That's almost as long as one of their (laughs) gunfights. That's insane. Except that you can land punches. And, like, I made the joke about not being sanctioned. Like, I don't know what the round keeping would be in these at all. Like, it could be straight just soccer rules. Like, there was no no. breaks. It was two hours of nonstop boxing. That's what I'm saying. Boxing. Holy fuck. I mean, I know it's a different time, but. Well, and old school boxing, I mean, it's not quite the old school like abraham lincoln days but old school boxing was almost mma-ish where they included grappling and wrestling and shit with it i think at this point it was more straight boxing but it definitely wasn't just straight up punching like there was a lot more grappling all right paul kelly i'm gonna tell you right now if you bite his dick one more time you're not getting you know what i mean like (laughs) hey bro and then it goes on okay you got that kind of like oh there's no um Rabbit punching or whatever was probably not illegal back then. So you got all that crap like you mentioned, yeah. and then we're gonna do it for 120 minutes straight. No, no intermissions, no breaks, no uh, water bottles, no ring girls, no. And monkey Smith with the chair. <laughs> so eventually, neither of them could fight anymore, and it was ended in a draw with both men having to be carried out of the ring. It is Rocky. It's him and Creed. Yeah. Like, oh, like holy fuck, that is crazy. So what happens with the neutral? Like it can't get any more neutral than that. We continue to war over it. How did all those rich white dudes settle their bets? Yeah. So the truce was immediately dropped and the war commenced. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My joke was the. You know fuck it. We're going back to guns. We're going back to guns. It's way easier. Way easier. You know what's better than a uh, two-hour fucking boxing match? A four and a half hour gun battle. Let's do it. It's crazy. They went through all that. To, to nothing. The longest boxing uh, match known to man in 10,000 years of recorded history of man, the longest boxing match ever, ended in no result. Like, it don't count because uh, we just want to shoot. Fuck war's it. back on. Fuck it. <laughs> it's what a fucking monkfish face and fucking uh, our Paul Kelly fucking I think mean, about that. Like, dude. I mean, we tried. Can you guys think of another way to split it? We tried fighting. Now we're trying guns. I mean, I can't think of another way. That's a, that's the only logical progression. <laughs> so in the end, everyone at Tammany Hall thinks it's a good idea for us to just shoot each other. So Tammany Hall eventually decided, like, okay, well, Paul Kelly's got more money. Monkey Eastman, he's kind of he he served his purpose, but well, Monkey Eastman ain't got a dance hall for so the eat did Boss Tweed. Yeah. Boss Tweed just mm-hmm. figures like, yeah, we're better off. Our option, we're better off with our Paul Kelly. You see how this guy dresses? That guy is zazzy. Monk Eastman got arrested for assault that he said he didn't commit. And he probably didn't because... And he got the shit beat out of him when the cop, by the cops when he got arrested. So the cops pulled up, beat the fucking shit out of Monk Eastman, and arrested him for Rodney assault. Kingdom, and then... They were Irish cops. They think Paul Kelly's really Irish. They're like, don't pick on a good old boy. Yeah, Tammany Hall basically said, well, we're going to go with Paul Kelly. Hey, cops, <laughs> get, give him the treatment. Let's yeah. Send them up to Elmira or Sing Sing or whatever the fuck it is we're doing. Yeah. They figure they settle in a horse race, but now they got to pick which horse to back. They accused him of robbing a man that was being surveilled by the Pinkertons. So the Pinkertons were like, yep, Monkey Eastman did it. We've seen him. We've seen him. <laughs> I seen it. And if there's one thing we know about the Pinkertons is they don't they do not deal with no they're, shady shit. No. They're, they're, they're on the up, up and up. So they're, not the, be... they're not the original FBI before Hoover and them. Yeah. Like, yeah. So the Pinkertons said, so it's got to be They're just cool. not legalized they're, mob They're shit. not pay for play. Yeah. No. They're on the up and up. 
Well, he was found guilty and sentenced to 10 years in Sing Sing, which essentially ended the war. There was a couple guys, um, the original Kid Twist, who's the guy that Abrellas was named after. Good old Kid Twist. But with minimal competition, the Five Points gang over the next few years steadily just grew in all their rackets. Some of the notable members of the Five Points gang were Frankie Yale, Lucky Luciano, Meyer Lansky, Bugsy Siegel, and Al Capone. And by all means, if that's not the who's fucking who of fucking mob world. This guy's the Nick Fury that brought all the Avengers together. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, we're going to take a quick smoke break, refill our drinks, and we'll be back in a minute. So, when we left off, Paul Kelly had built a gang that had taken over most of uh, the Manhattan organized crime. Well, basically created organized crime because it wasn't a thing prior to that. He said, regulators. He did did build the regulators of fucking gangsters and shit. Yeah, it's pretty dope. And that picture don't include Johnny Torrio because we talked about him separate. Because he was going to be on a different slide and I forgot. 
or else he would have been on that one. So everything changed in 1908 when two of his top lieutenants, they decided they actually went to go to a, a gang called the Gopher Gang, which was run by Oni Madden, who was the Irish guy in Hell's Kitchen. Still think there should be a better name. So 1908, well, and basically it's just what always happens is there's no competition. Everything's going pretty smooth. You start getting your own guys that kind of want to start doing their own thing and they start growing and they start making their own moves. And uh, they attempted a hit on Paul Kelly and they attacked him while he was sitting in the Brighton Athletic Club. Paul Kelly was drinking with two of his bodyguards and uh, he fought back and it was a shootout, but he got shot three times and his bodyguard got killed. So I don't know Damn. that you could have did that without a shootout. Yeah. <laughs> they rushed him off to a private hospital to treat him because he was like uh, wanted as a suspect in the shootout and stuff. But they, they treated him at a private hospital. He got better. He turned himself in, but he was able to get himself off due to the political connections. But now Tammany Hall, yeah. they're trying to clean up the Bowery. And they're like, hey, we went with you because we don't want people getting shot up at the social club and shit. See, that's what sucks. He made everything so laid back that all these violent motherfuckers got bored, essentially. He gets shot up. Then you have these guys like, hey, man, what's with the shootout? Dickhead. Everything was cool. I just got shot out of nowhere. What are you talking about? The streets were good till I just got shot. (laughs) Your shootout was my shooting. (laughs) You go over to the guy that just got shot. Hey, man, what's with these shots? Don't bring this shit around here. <laughs> the one with the holes. You think I wanted to get shot? It's yeah. the boss tweet thing. Like, we, uh, Sorry, we got to cancel you. You got to go. Like, why do you chose me? You were better off with me, right? Yeah, that was two weeks ago now. Yeah, that was pre-gunfight, man. We don't like that show. Well, I mean, that's classic sort of how the system Politics, yeah, like, I was going to say that's the original politics, system. Not only politics, corporations, just bureaucracies and a junk. Like, they're just up at top and they're like, listen... We don't care who got shot by who, what's going on. We don't want the shots. Let's solve this shit. Stop with the shots. Most of his political connections turned his back, their back on him, and he was forced to close up the new Brighton Athletic Club, and he moved his operations to Italian Harlem. Damn, they may not have killed him, but they took out his business. In 1909, Johnny Torrio moved to Chicago to work with Big, John, Big Jim Colosimo, <sighs> which, that's the cool part of Johnny Torrio's story. It's like the nail in the coffin of Paul Kelly's story, where he's like, fuck, man, come on, Johnny, everything's going so good, bro. That one's gotta hurt a little bit. But it is cool in the continuous story, though, because then Johnny T's goes through a whole nother period that takes you right up until when Big Jim, you know, leaves us, and then that starts a whole nother... Like, they, they don't just connect back, like, the Kevin Bacon game, like, who was in this movie. Every This is like a book that reads from this point to... We get all the way up into the 80s through that. Now, before we go in further, just so that I wrap my mind around it, I see that he just got weak, almost. Things were just too good. He was in there singing and dancing. All these young up-and-comers came out there, and he just, he wasn't where he once was anymore. Peacetime uh, did create some Mm -hmm. um, complacency, like some, uh, you get too comfortable. And you don't ever want to be in the, like you said, in business and politics and mobster shit. You don't ever want to be too in the comfort zone. Like as a human, we're designed to, for that next challenge, you reach plateaus. And then it's like, Mm. what's the next goal? What's the next, when you get to a certain level, like there's no heaven on earth, you know? So there's no, we've achieved it. You're always trying to reach the next thing. He kind of got to a level here in this story where it's like, everything's fine and it can be like that for a minute point you can't be like that for two years mm-hmm. then your guys start getting breed in their head like hey let's make a move i could be the guy or hey let's start back uh get a fucking shootout going old-fashioned shootout well at mm-hmm. some point you get older and you're kind of done with the shootouts and shit you're turning like, into grandpa mode like a sage you're mm-hmm. leaving the warrior part of your life behind now you're turning to the older like the sage these young bucks are like no no this is we're we're soldiers here the only reason why I was just thinking that is just because I was, was like, man, everything was good. Then he gets shot at, and now everybody's jumping ship, everything's shitty. So just in my head, I was like, like no, there's got to be more than that. And it really is just, it's not that he got shot was the turning point. It's that that was just another symptom of the problem of... It brought light he, to the bigger problem. He always played that game, that business game or whatever. And I think it just seems like all the real games, like... Torrio's like, fuck, I'm going to go to Chicago and do more real gangster shit. 
And that kind of continued. So Frankie Yale goes and starts running the Brooklyn Docks. Lucky Luciano starts working for the Morello family with, you know, Joe the Boss. And uh, all the all his top guys start going it, in different directions. When Frankie Yale does that, is that when he gets like the Harvard Club or? His... Yeah. So they're still kind of five points guys. You know? But they're heading then... into, it's turning from that era, the old cowboy top hat era to like the new almost like even though it's way back then our modern like our mob shit that we grew up on like it's turning into that the suit and tie and the well here's kind of what the problem is is his guys that used to be his soldiers they're now becoming like the lieutenants and stuff they're they're starting to like build businesses but he's losing business he doesn't have a gang no more barely so they're like well i just do my own thing aspiration wise they don't want to work for old sears roebuck no more when i'm about to start arbor drugs or cvs whatever it may be you know i'm going to do my own thing you know i'm going to start my own you know you talk about the animal kingdom shit the reason he was out in the streets punching people in the face is animal kingdom shit well the reason when he gets shot sitting with his homies that's a weakness thing. Whether it is it or it isn't, yeah. that's what it reads as. Like, oh, you got caught slipping, you're done, and people are done with you. I'm doing my own thing. And and everybody everybody respected him, so they didn't turn on him like that. Like, fuck you. It just kind of just slowly phased in their own direction. And then on top of that, through the 19-teens, his, his power slowly waned. Like I said, all those guys, they went and worked for, like, local mob operations. And then the mob also started to move into these rackets where that, that used to not be a thing. There wasn't a whole lot of mafia. It was the Five Points gangs. He ran that shit. Now you have all these, the mafias just taking shit all, all over. You guys are leaving. And uh, Paul Kelly, basically, he, he used his social and political connections to make some union contacts. And he became the vice president of the International Longshoremen's Association. And by 1920, the Five Points gang had completely dissolved. Right. Because 1919 is your uh, famous, the Black Sox scandal, Arnold Rothstein, all that. By then, Torrio, uh, Young Luciano, all the, they were the younger coming uplings in that. So it's really not even, at this point in the story, it's not like sad. Like It is for him personally as a guy, Like, but it's not sad. He was an important part, but Paul Kelly going out here. like You definitely needed that old lion to die right here for the pride that now the movie's starting. He's an important part of that. This is like when you flash back in Godfather and see Vito Corleone as a child, like when he sees his mom get killed, all that. So this guy's very important, but now you're about to, in mob wise, like you're about to come up to the, that's the golden age. Like as far as like, say comic books, like from 20 to 65, like you're coming into the golden age of our American, our mob shit. Well, when you look at the fact that at one point all these guys were in a street gang being led by Johnny Torrio, it's a pretty good gang, man. Fuck yeah. That's a fucking all-star team of gangsters. So his gang completely dissolves. As most of organized crime moves into bootlegging, Paul Kelly started earning a living as a union racketeer. Uh, Sometimes he used to have to provide muscle and labor disputes. So when he was older, he used to have to go down and... uh, fist fight on the docks with a longshoreman getting back to his roots kind of though like you know what yeah. i mean you know yeah sometimes you gotta lead from the front right you gotta get out there well technically provide muscle could mean Re- recruit some dudes yeah like he's the business guy he's hiring i don't know if i said this earlier but a lot of people say that him doing that him going out like on the front line and like getting in trouble and saying like well it's important that I do crime in this criminal organization or else or I'm not the boss really a lot of people say that that's kind of the origin of making your bones there's kind of like a like well come on even Paul Kelly would go out there and punch a dude in a street fight if it came down <laughs> to it he's up there in the in the club in a silk suit but when the fight breaks out he's down here punching people too so yeah you got you got everybody's got to make their bones everybody's got to do their violence get a little is, mud under them nails in 1936, Paul Kelly died of natural causes at 59, which was normal in the 30s. Like now, yeah, 59 that's... would be young to die of natural causes, but back then I was like, oh. yeah, you're born in the 1870s or whatever. Like that's a good life, long life, especially for the type of he, he field a... you chose to grow up in. A boxer, a mobster, to live to 60, pretty good there. He had a heart full of cold cuts. Plus, he, go. he had three fucking bullet wounds in him boxed fucking dudes for hours and that's only like the off the book shit that's not including the actual boxing boxing that he did as a professional yeah it's real like why he had which you know there was some wars there too like he made a shitload of money he probably was out there scrapping 
Paul Kelly did live long enough to watch his former protege, Johnny Torrio, build the game plan that former five-pointer Lucky Luciano would eventually build into the National Crime Syndicate Commission that still exists today. He was just one step removed. Like, Johnny Torrio was the guy. He was the guy that taught Johnny Torrio. Well, like I say, like, really, and I think if they were here today, like, your Johnny T's and Luciano would say, like, without that guy paving the road with what he did, like, bringing some of us together and, and like, the grand scheme of life, meeting each other, he was definitely a cog in that wheel. He didn't get all the credit and shit, but, like, he was a forerunner to what, what we know today, and that's pretty sweet. We covered Giuseppe Morello already. And I think when you look at Lucky Luciano, like what he built as the mafia now, it was influenced by basically three people. It was Giuseppe Morello, Paul Kelly, and then Arnold Rothstein. So it was like those three guys that mentor mentorship. They made a super gangster. (laughs) Like they they really did. Well, don't limit yourself by limiting it to you got to be Italian or you can't hang out. If a guy can earn, he can earn. You know, we weren't as loose as like the outfit, but we weren't as, hey, everybody has to have a fat mustache and just be like these five dudes. Like, hey, we can have five families, but we could be a network. They became like a global corporation. So that's the story of Paul Kelly. So say goodnight to the bad guy. Go on. Now, you guys haven't seen a picture of Paul Kelly yet, but if we were going to cast a movie about Paul Kelly, who would you cast to play him? You want to shoot, Dan? <laughs> I don't know. Who's the smallest actor you know? I mean, that's true. I mean, it could be you don't, anyone here. You don't have one lined up? I'm just going to shoot mine, and I, I don't really. have a, a long fucking explanation. I'm just going Adrian Brody. Little in stature, got the nose, the dark hair, the dark eyes. I'm just guessing he would probably fit. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. He's not sure, but you, you're not yeah, going to come like up with five. he's like a tall, linky guy. Right, but you're not going to come up with five, two anyway, so you just tell the story Plus, that's a small And he's part not super to, tall. It's, Hugh Jackman plays Wolverine, man. Yeah, yeah. it's you not a I mean? big well, part of two, the story, sure. too. I mean, although there were a couple David and Goliath fights. But you could still come up with a big dude. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a minute enough that you fucking and where he's he's tall and skinny, he's not machine gun Kelly tall. Yeah. Shit, I don't I'd be really almost anyway, I can't think of someone who can't play him. You can't think of someone who can't? Yeah. Name someone, I bet you they could play him. Liam Neeson. Oh, I can see Liam Neeson playing this guy. So you came, we could just have Morgan Freeman Morgan or something. Suddenly, <laughs> you picked a guy that could it. That's how good I am at this game. <laughs> Fuck it. Liam Neeson. That's my pick. Liam Neeson is who Paul Kelly tried to pretend to be. Yeah. He's like, no, I'm, I'm Liam Neeson. Hey, you know, I got this Irish accent. I mean, really, I can't I got the particular set of skills. I can, I can see a lot of people... Well, the, take the boxing part when he was the banterweight, like somebody that's 135 pounds. Well, that's pounds. what I'm saying. Like, there's not really much of an actor who ain't in shape who can't play a boxer. Well, you don't look Italian with the kid, that, the kid that played Spider-Man. Yeah, he could. He don't look yeah. Italian. Tom, Tom Holland. Holland. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, you know what? Andrew Garfield. I know who I'm going with. I think his name's Finn something. From The Sopranos? From Stranger Things? From Star Wars? The Stormtrooper? Yep. John Boyega? Okay. So his name is Finn Cole, is the actor's name. He's in a show I watch called Animal Kingdom. He also played in the new Fast and Furious that had John Cena in it. He was John Cena in the flashbacks. A young Vin yeah. Diesel's brother? Yes. He was young John Cena as Vin Diesel's brother. Nice. <laughs> that wow. actor, Finn Cole. Yeah, but you that exact quote is on his resume. All right, let's get to this pick. As soon as you show the picture, they'll be like, oh, this guy. One hell of a nose on him. Oh, you know who could play him? And I feel bad because we just shit all over his nose. And this dude doesn't have like a crazy nose or nothing. But um, the kid, kind of, he's in his early 20s from uh, Ready Player One. Or he played Young Cyclops. Oh, yeah. Young Cyclops in the newer. I think it's Ty Sheridan. Yeah, it's Ty Sheridan. All right. So now we got to do the DEFCON scale. So standard DEFCON scale is 5 to 1, 5 being the lowest, 1 being the highest. But in the Bad Guy podcast, there's no good guys. So 5 would be Lee Murray, who's your drug-dealing, kidnapping bank robber. And at 1, you got the Purple Gang, who's got multiple gang wars, 
multiple massacres, and they're killing people on the street. So on a scale of Lee Murray to the Purple Gang, where would you rate Paul Kelly? I'm going to go with the old Quattro, number four. I mean, a part of me wants to go with three because he is almost the standard for organized crime, what became the mafia kind of, well, the next generation. Mm -hmm. He was Picard in a way. In that same way, he seemed to be way more business-minded. He seemed to... I mean, he got out there and got scrappy, but he wasn't too crazy with it. He didn't have that bad guy I want to kill people to put him towards the top or nothing. I kind of want to go three when I put him up against other threes. I don't know if he's as violent as those other ones, but he is definitely the archetype of what a modern gangster became. So I almost want to do a three, but I'm going to go with four because of his lack of just overall bad guyness in general. What do you think? I got a little more leaning personally, like I would lean more towards the three, but I got to give him a four just because the, because of my persuasive argument. Well, no, because like we all mentioned, like, okay, yeah, he was a precursor to what became the modern mob, but this Paul, to be fair to how we do the DEF CON, Paul Kelly really was reserved. He would get out there and fight, but it was more physical, like uh, actual fist fight because of his boxing. And not that he wouldn't dig a fucking hole. I'm sure it wasn't his first fucking hole, but he had a calmer, cooler head. So I, I that would lean me just out of, I'm going towards a three, but it kind of makes me feel to step a foot back to put it at the four now because people that he rubs shoulders with fuck man you can get into some zeros that go a little bit beyond one (laughs) but not him if we're doing this episode as paul kelly not who he rubs shoulders with i gotta go four. final answer i get on the leaning part i'm with you but you were leaning between a four and a three i was leaning more between a four and a five because i was i could even see that i could see that i think he was responsible for too much violence and shit to warn yeah the rubbing of the shoulders is the only that way i could see your argument too like i could almost agree with a five yeah right but you can only you you are right though you can only associate with so much stuff before you're responsible for some of it it's also too it it sounds bad because once again, this is one of those weird things in this podcast where the more of a bad guy you are, the more better it is. More resp- So I just feel like this guy needs to be up there higher just in terms of respect because he like built the shit. But yeah, I almost could be swayed to like be between a four and a five. So he's rolling in his grave like, you motherfucker. I mean, man, I started well, it all, kind of. I was fist fighting goddamn Monk Eastman for two hours. For two and a half hours, we had a boxing match. But and see, it didn't count. That, to me, was almost more honorable. That You're was right. straight up. There was Jon Snow and uh, Ramsey. Like, mm-hmm. just, hey, why don't us two just fight? All right. So, uh, yeah, I was maybe leaning towards a five, but I was a four or five. But either way, that'll make him a DEFCON four. They're moving in. I say we go to DEFCON 4. Pretty unanimous. What is the sound drop for the four? Uh, Christopher. Yeah, yeah, Christopher. So oh, the same uh, one the same one where he says, say hello to my little friend. He says, I say we go to DEFCON 4. I said we go to DEFCON 4. Which is so funny. Like, you don't even know what that means. Yeah. He's just picking a random number. Thanks, Christopher. That's Christopher in a nutshell right there, that line. <laughs> it goes towards the early Iraq uh, war days. We're like, you know what? Set the color code to orange today. <laughs> like, what's orange? I don't know. Do you know what orange is? I don't know. It sounds, it sounds it, serious. You're on the side. It'd be sweet because in the Sopranos, they'd probably, if they talked about the DEF CON, like, what's that? I've never seen the movie War Games. Like, why are you rattling DEF CONs and you don't even know what the fuck they are? Like, why can't all these conflicts here? Yeah. So Christopher's in every episode, but on the fours. He gets dose drops. Yep. We call those Chris episodes. Christopher. So there's a lot. When he goes to get made, it's something I say to my wife all the fucking time. He's going to get made, and he's about to walk out the door. And she looks at him, and she says, Christopher, I love you so much. And he says, you better. You better. You better. <laughs> I fucking... <laughs> we have androids going off. DJ 3PO. What mm. if you pick that paper up and you read it and it just says, you better. <laughs> you better write back. She's printing fucking shipping labels in the middle of my podcast. <laughs> I'm talking about how, yeah, I'm going to be a gangster teller. You better. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to ruin your podcast with my printing. 
All right. You guys got anything? Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming. I say that. Thanks for coming. <laughs> thanks for listening. No, no, you guys. Seriously. Thanks no, for coming. No, for really. For real. But thanks. I mean, listening, that's cool. Yeah. But you coming? Thanks. That's from it. That's from J-Bone personally. Thank you. <laughs>